0: corporations inherently evil yeah. when you go to a store to buy a product you tend to assume that the product you are buying is not poisoning you slowly with noxious chemicals well, according to a harvard study many flosses including oral b glide has a cancer causing chemical in it the floss is coated with perfluorohexane uh, Sulfic acid. Oh no, quick, get something natural instead. Like the beard hairs of a hippie, your teeth with those. There is a large class of chemicals known as Paphos and puffos that are known to be very dangerous to the human body. And those chemicals are in a butt load of products, including in all of your non-stick cookware. Is the company DuPont that made the Teflon that's been fucking the health of the American people for decades evil? Did they know it harmed humans? Did DuPont understand that dumping their toxic chemicals into the water system was going to cause a major environmental catastrophe? Hell yeah, they knew. But are they evil for making those choices? Let's say the public gets hip to knowing things are toxic. Like for example, BPA in plastic. Then plastic products starts marketing things as BPA free. And we're all like, phew! But then are the chemical replacements for BPA like BPS or BPF, are those any safer? No, they might be even worse. The more you dig into the rabbit hole of toxic chemicals, the more you want to become like a dirty hippie that only eats food like goji berries harvested under the full moon. And then all of your clothes will be sewn together by the virgin hands of a leprechaun. We have to remember that the system of capitalism is what forces these people to make these horrendous and horrid choices when we see the people as evil then we are making the assumption that better people would make better choices no the system of capitalism itself requires relentless profit this is how wall street functions profit is the driving force of all decisions until we completely restructure our financial system companies and corporations are going to keep poisoning you and the whole world
1: the old world is ending
2: and we have the opportunity to rethink everything
1: this is a show about the systemic problems in our world
2: and the real solutions we have today.
1: To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse.
0: To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society
2: that sustains all life.
1: You may think it's an impossible dream,
2: but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare.
1: We're your hosts, Matt Holton,
2: Amanda Smith,
1: and Zachary Marlow. And together,
2: we can move past this economic absurdity
1: and come together to actualize our collective potential. To create something completely new. We are mindless Society. time for Today's episode is the almost indescribable and phenomenal Tony Nagy. A radical TikToker, comedian, dancer, and somatic guru who will be leading us on a little movement work. So, wear some loose-fitting clothing, get ready to SWEAT, PEOPLE! And probably best if you watch along on YouTube. And while we're on the subject of movements, the whole movement that we're trying to create here with Moneyless Society is a tremendous labor of love that takes tons of effort and labor for all the work that we do, all of which is volunteer. So, if you really want to support us and really want to help us get moving and shaking, and shake up this damn system, support us on Patreon and or get your hands on a copy of the new Moneyless Society book available now all right let's get moving people (sighs) okay um sorry you guys hang on we're let me just uh, i'm really i'm i'm really out of it okay i'm experiencing what you would call seasonal defective disorder which is a, a capitalist uh construction of um you know when the whole world around us is going to sleep and getting sleepy and like yawning and like little creatures are crawling into their, their burrows and just chilling out and like animals are just hibernating and like chilling out and all the all the pumpkins are withering and dying up and everything's everything's just fucking chilling out and capitalism was like go 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 put out more go shop buy and, and we're just it's just so oh it's so unnatural i've been hibernating truthfully i missed a couple episode releases i'm sorry uh i've been Really slacking on this whole revolution thing because I'm just kind of don't have the energy to move. You know, I spend all this time in my head. I I just I I'm locked in there with all these obsessive thoughts. So today for our episode, this is it's it's more of a therapy really than anything. So we reached out to a, a very special somatic energy body worker healer revolutionary TikToker sensational humanoid named Tony Nagy. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen the very completely arresting, strange, uh, movement-oriented (laughs) algorithm-hacking flows that I don't really know how to describe of this incredible content creator. But so we're going to do something a little special today. We're going to bring her on. And... She's offered to uh, do a little somatic work with us to help us get out of the body, right? Am I getting that right? And get, or sorry, get out of the brain, get out of this obsessive, overthinking machine with all of its constructs and social constructions and conditionings and get us into this. This into this body. get it. So we've got the 80s workout uh, video vibe going for the lighting and the setup today. Anybody who's watching or listening on an audio platform, you should probably switch over to YouTube for this one because we're about to get visual. We're about to get into the body. We're about to get into the flow. We might get a little sweat going up here. We might get a little workout. Huh? Tony, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. I liked your analysis of how we – as a culture, just should be in a hibernation mode in order to honor the seasons, oh. and yet that is called a disorder. I think that's a appropriate analysis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have literally been sleeping and sleeping and sleeping and just laying in my bed, and uh, I really could use some somatic work, so I'm excited to get into this.
0: So. In terms of somatic work, what I thought would be fun is if you could open up about something that you're personally working on and then we could do a little exercise in order to uncover how for you to access this kind of emotional stagnation and we can release it into the cosmos a little more. (laughs) Do me, do me.
2: I need it so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Let's do Amanda first. I have a horrible work ethic. I am a workaholic. It is affecting my health and relationships. I need to stop this obsessive routine of working (laughs) every waking minute of my life. Now, when I say work, I'm referring to the revolution. Like I am advocating and I am Building with other people globally—it's such a rewarding thing on a physical and emotional level that it's kind of hard to put down. Uh, thus, the the workaholic term, um, because you know, on one hand, it's work, and on one hand, it is a labor of love, and it gives me fulfillment and an identity that I can cling to. And I, I realize the derogatory things about all of that. But yet here I am, I'm human and I've got to have something to hang on to, right? So how do I find balance perhaps between needing that identity and that justification of, of who I am versus remembering that I'm inherently worth being here because I am here. That's the prude.
0: Okay, you said a lot of things and yeah, Sorry. the thing that I heard most was this desire for balance. Yeah. Definitely, and you having an attachment of identity to output, mm-hmm. right? So you seeking balance and wanting to maybe reestablish your identity to not just be contingent upon output. Am I mm-hmm. hearing That's you
2: correctly? Absolutely right. Yes. Okay. So, are you are are we all able to stand Is standing possible? Um, I can try. I'm not touching my camera, so (laughs) I'll just have to maybe back up a little or something.
0: All right. I think everyone can try this. Everyone can try this really quick. All right. So you're going to stand. All right. So you're going to kind of think about what it is you were just discussing with me. You're going to stand on just your left foot. So you're going to pick up your right foot and you're just going to stand on your left foot. Wait, is this this just
1: this is just for Amanda?
0: No, you can do it too. We all can work on this. I feel like doing the current now. work,
1: but no. This is if this is going to undo my work ethic, I need more work ethic. I don't work enough. I've been lazy.
0: No, no. Yeah. It's about finding balance and not okay. attaching okay. identity to your output. Okay. <laughs> it's not going to mess with your work. with your <laughs> with your work ethic. Okay. So we're all going to stand on our left foot, right? So Amanda's ah. on your left foot. Everyone's on your left I foot. Am. So I, I am. want you to start moving your right leg around. As okay. in every direction you can possibly have it go. So just moving your right <laughs> leg and maintaining your balance on your left leg, right? Okay. And yeah. start to move your leg faster.
2: Okay, faster. I'm and good. start to shake
0: your leg, move it faster. Keep moving it, moving it faster and wider and longer. But you cannot move your left foot. Your left foot is stuck, all right? So keep moving it, keep moving it, keep moving it. now go faster, faster, okay. faster. Faster, 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 faster until you fall.
2: Oh, we don't wanna see that. We don't wanna see me fall. We'll bring take down yourself to a place me. of falling. Okay, all right. Alright, so I've got to fail basically. Like take Yes, my place, you, so you have to basically. fall. Failure. I've got really you're good doing it you fall. Here. Honestly, I guess yeah, I take it.
0: <laughs> okay, take a break. Okay. Now you're gonna have both feet grounded. Okay, so feel your feet grounded and just lean forward as far as you can Mm -hmm. and lean back as far as you can, but without without moving your feet. Lean to the side as far as you can and lean to the other side as far as you can. So you've kind of found your limitation of not moving your feet in this grounded position, yeah?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to stay planted. Now lean
0: forward as much as you can and let yourself fall and catch yourself. And then lead to the side as much as you can until you fall. Lead to the other side as much as you can until you fall. And now you're gonna lead back as much as you can until you fall. Okay, shake everything out, yeah? Okay, now you're gonna stand and you're gonna try to move your body, just try to move your body as much as you can, but you cannot move your feet. And see how that feels. Staying
2: grounded, gotcha.
0: Staying grounded, but you're moving your body in all directions. And you cannot move your feet. Your feet are really grounded. Yes, you're moving, 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 moving. I love it. In every direction that you possibly can, but you can't move your feet. Okay. And rest. All right. So, when you... When you have one foot planted, right, Mm -hmm. and you have that other leg moving, you're kind of feeling the polarity of being pulled into two directions, right? Definitely, definitely, yeah. So you're being pulled in two directions. One foot is trying to stay grounded, and the other one is frenetically moving. And so there's that, like, push and pull that's happening. Mm -hmm. When you are then falling – when you're standing and you're falling forward or you're falling
2: backwards,
0: what are you doing in that scenario? You're uh, falling forward or backwards or from side to side. What's trying happening? to balance
2: myself? Trying to re- retain balance.
0: You're trying to retain balance. And then what happens when you go too far?
2: I fail. I fall over. You fall over, but did you hurt yourself? I'm not in this scenario. No. Did you catch yourself? I did. Mm, good point. And when you when
0: you fell, did you kind of start to see where your boundary are boundary was
2: in terms of how far in each direction you could go? Yes, yes. I love this. I love this. Yeah, good analogy. Okay. And
0: then when you were standing and your feet were totally grounded and you were moving, how did that feel?
2: That felt more secure. I felt more secure, but I also felt like I was, you know, in the wind. Did you feel secure, but did you feel stuck at all? I did, yeah, because I couldn't move my feet, and I could only reach so far because I I was grounded in that spot. So this is a great example
0: of balance, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have one leg being really frenetic, and you're kind of pulling yourself off kilter. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lack of balance that happens, right? Definitely. But when you have two feet really grounded and you're trying to move, there you might feel more grounded, but there's a stagnation that happens. Mm-hmm. And so, in a perfect world, we would oscillate between having one foot, two feet, one foot and two feet, right? Right. So, it's like you're kind of some people, maybe what Mar- Marlo was talking about, if you, you can be stuck because both feet are on the ground and you're not actually going anywhere but if just one foot is on the ground you're also not going anywhere we need to have two feet on the ground in order to actually travel yeah i think i'm the one foot that's
1: stuck and amanda's the one foot that's moving around too much to the point where she's (laughs) about to fall over
0: that's either way you're stuck either that or i've
1: I've just fallen over and haven't gotten up
0: (laughs) yeah you could just be on the ground but either way if it's one foot or two feet grounded you're stuck. The balance is from being able to move both feet. And when you do that exercise of seeing how far you can kind of lean. So the first thing we did is we saw how far we could lean. You maybe aren't really pushing yourself to your limit because you're just kind of not taking any risks. You're like, oh, I can lean this far. But when you lean too far, you were falling. Mm-hmm. So it's like to def- it depends on what's going on with you for that day, Amanda. But what you could do is play with those feelings, like doing those exercises and play with the feelings and asking yourself, what is it that I need today? Do I need to actually be on two feet today? Do I need to have one foot going? Can I work with both feet moving at the same time? Mm. And then finding your boundaries, you know, so you kind of, and you can see how if you just find your boundaries over and over again, they're the same boundaries, eventually you're not going to be pushing yourself to go any farther. And that's another form of stagnation, right? So right. if you like, oh, I can just lean this forward. That's all I can <clears throat> lean. I already know that. I can only lean this far back. That's all I can do. You're creating an understanding. Oh you're God. telling the body, this is it. This is all I'm, this is all I'm capable of. Always this is all I'm capable of. But if you're always just pushing yourself forward, then you actually don't know what you're capable of because you're falling. Right. And you don't know how to find actual the actual limitations of where you are right now. And those limitations are constantly changing. They're constantly in flux. So we have to kind of keep seeing. And sometimes the limitations are different. Like you were saying, Marlo, how you're really tired and like you're having a seasonal Absolutely. reaction to what's going on, which is you're in a more hibernation mode. So honoring our boundaries means we have to figure out where our boundaries are in that day, in that season, in that week, in that year, whatever.
2: And also that was an example researching how far you can push them, but gently. (laughs) Gently. Yes. By playing with them. Thank you so much for giving me something physical to work with on days that I feel like I'm going to be ripped in two and fall in all directions. Totally. Yeah. And it's really just for you to kind of go through
0: (laughs) You know, and see, and ask yourself, how do I feel? What am I reacting? What are the emotions coming up when I'm doing stuff like this? Ah, that's very important.
1: Yeah, I think there's something very uh, profound and obvious in, you know, getting into the body when you're overly uh, you're overthinking, or you're stuck in the head, or you're stuck in a, a mental loop of of you know depression or sadness or anxiety or even if it's overactivity, you know, whatever it is, where we get stuck in this one mode where you know as you know to get back to the perpetual returning theme of the show you know we are stuck in this arbitrary and totally anti-human economic system that demands us to move you know only in certain ways mechanical motions you know turning levers on the assembly line turning this doing this sitting in this posture all day hunching down into the the, the clickety clacking goblin mode you know that was the fucking one of the words of the year it's goblin mode you know it's like we're we're devolving and degenerating into this this lower form of life you know our our you know you see like the the evolution chart of like the apes bent over and they get str- straighter and straighter and it's like we are actually our spine our spines are moving back in the other direction we're getting hunched over you know it's like we're putting it all in here and not any of it into here into the body and you can take that metaphor of what the body is very very far you know into the world we don't exist in the world we live in our little bubbles of cities and soon you know as climate change intensifies and humanity doesn't fucking do anything about it they're just going to put domes around these cities and enclose them more and put up sea walls and you know go to these even crazier lengths to keep churning out production to keep existing in this this disconnected way you know instead of living with the planet living with the body that we live in that we exist that is us you know we think the body is just this tool to be manipulated and used so that we can get profit and labor out of it but really it's it's us you know there's no difference between brain and body you know there's a there's an enteric nervous system in your gut you know like um ancient chinese medicine understands that there are connection points for you know um the body all over the body you know even on your feet and on your ears and, you know, things like that, that the body is the sensing organ that's all connected. That's all, uh, bringing us into alignment with the world around us and with our own self. And we've really lost that. And so that's, that's what's, it's, it's so interesting to see your, your work, Tony, in the little tiny screen, you know, hunched over like this, and just to see you moving with every muscle in your body and, you know, literally jumping out of the frame. And it just really brings us back into like, this kind of remembrance of like, oh shit, yeah, I used to be a fucking spaz on the playground. I used to use my whole body all the time. And I've lost that. And we gotta get back into that.
0: Well, I'm not sure we've lost it in the sense that we've confined an energy and we've created, like we were talking about beforehand, stagnation. So the effort it takes to curl in is still effort. It's not as if that's without effort. You're still in your body, but what your body is doing is that it's protecting its heart. So when you're in that kind of curved over position, your heart isn't open. And when your heart isn't open, that has psychological, emotional, spiritual implications. And so I think that the truth is, is no one can take your body or your experience of your body away from you. But what they can do is reshape you into um, a posturing or a movement pattern that isn't allowing you to truly access your joy or play with your spiritual you know, inner child, what it's what it's doing is creating stagnation and it's putting you or you're putting yourself in a position where you feel not only stuck and held but protective. You were always in these protective positions. So I think the good thing about it is that, you know, no no one can take your freedom away from you. No one can take your body away from you or your experiences in the body. And what we can do is just remember how to play within the body and create more of an expansive relationship to it. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting from a movement perspective, if you're um, like uh, someone who does weights or what have you, and you have this repetitive motion of the lifting of the weights, right? So you're building a certain amount of strength with this repetitive motion, But maybe you're forgetting that your arm can do all sorts of other gestures. And so you're repeating a gesture. And from a masculine, you know, traditionally masculine perspective where sports are how men are expressing themselves physically or weightlifting, it's repetitive and it's not necessarily in like working with intuition. It's not necessarily impulsive. It's not necessarily like exploring space. And so what is the psychological impact of that? You know, that's something that's, I think, worth contemplating. Even runners, you know, you're running and you're making the same motion over and over again. Not that running isn't valuable and interesting, but it's, it's repetitive. And so the thing that I think is really interesting about dance is that it's encouraging limitless expression of gesture. And what does that gesture have to do with your emotional state of mind?
1: I I just had a, this is kind of a tangent, but I just had a very dark image of like this really brutal office building. That's just like this huge warehouse of like infinite cubicles just spreading out so far. And all the people in the office are all hunched over and, you know, they've got all these special keyboards and wrist braces and they're just, you know, working at all hours of the day. You don't know what time of day Mm -hmm. it is. There's no windows and then there's this bullhorn that comes out and it's just like everyone proceed to dance you know it's like and and then they bring all the people in the office into this like space and they have them you know dance in this really mechanical rote way you know i just i just think about you know what you're saying is really true you know they can't they they there is no you know we can't be taken and separated truly from the freedom to be you know and i think that it's really sad that so much of our lives um, are taken from us in that way that our freedom of movement, our freedom of mobility, our freedom to run and jump and play and skip and and even to like the social acceptance of like a man dancing or you know, of moving in an interesting way, you know, expressing yourself as you go to get water or something you know it's like there's an ostracization that comes when people move outside of the boundaries of this very stiff like wooden chair posture of, our existence, you know, it's just there is something very freeing about getting back into the body. And especially in going even beyond like, exercise as this very mechanical kind of like factory work where you're pumping, you know, one weight in one way and working one muscle group, whatever, into this more free and liberated, creative, playful space.
2: If I could intervene really quickly. Um, And all you were saying there, Tony, about the redundancy of our movements, obviously that makes a good analogy for the redundancy of wage labor in the capitalist system. And all that Marlo was saying and how we need to explore, and how you were saying as well, how we need to explore our limits and find a balance and all that jazz obviously makes a good analogy for how collectively humanity needs to not only accept, but explore the fact that we have limits we haven't pushed yet. We are trying to push past this point of stagnation where we have both our feet ground in this archaic outdated system and see what we can achieve as the human race um, having said all that i'm excited that you're on the show because i think we would all agree at Moso, uh, you know self-actualization is the first step to collective actualiz- actualization um, we can't collectivize um, effectively if we're just taking orders and we're not exploring our body and our nervous system and listening to our signals and our intuition. I mean, what's really sad is some people don't even really like listen to their intuition. Like they don't even realize it is the tool that it is. You know, we're to that point where we are these hunched over people that are protecting our heart, not letting anything in being too afraid to evolve. Uh, And it's because of these redundant systems that push us to do these repetitive tasks that are menial and do not help us to open up and explore life and who we are. Um, I I don't want to give the impression that dance is like what a person has to do to uh, to reach that understanding. But for someone who uh, for people that are listening. Who, you know, or would be like, oh, I'd never dance a day in my life or I never have or I don't want to or whatever. Do you have any like seated um, movements that people might be uh, willing to try? Because, you know, I mean, that's that, that's a problem in and of itself. Some, like with one of your recent postings talking about how people are afraid of what someone thinks of them. A lot of people won't get up and dance because they're afraid of what people will say. Uh, so,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm picking up on two different ideas. You know, one is around this concept of social convention and what we deem to be appropriate or what we even deem to be dance. I think that dance can be as abstract as you want it to be. If you were a postmodern dancer, you could literally walk across a stage at a slow pace and people would spend like $90 and say that's, <laughs> you know, dance. a completely. valid piece of work. So I think that expanding the mind when it comes to what the definition of dance is or isn't, I usually call it movement. Movement, And I think dance is an approach to movement. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be around music. It's more around mindfulness, intention, exploration, play, these different aspects that don't have to necessarily be put into a box of technique and don't have to be categorized in any specific way. Like it can be as vague or as specific as you want it to be. But I think the social convention around quote unquote dance is much like the social convention around – Quote unquote business, which is you create a culture and a rhetoric around it, which is ultimately very isolating. Like, if you were to look at the rhetoric around business, there's all this language, there's these Excel spreadsheets, there's pro formas, mm-hmm. there are specific ways in which you have to be initiated into the culture through a very specific educational platform in order to quote unquote understand business, which is ultimately much more simple than it, has, it is presented to be. Dance is the same way. There is, of course, technique, ballet technique, hip hop technique, break dancing that exists, but that is not the totality of what movement and dance is. And I think that when we use cultural standards to hijack a human experience, art is a human experience. Dance is a human ex- human experience. Singing; these are things that are ingrained in our very DNA and does not have to be confined by a structure or an expectation that it's a marketable, be beautiful, see specifically one thing. So, I mean, I think I encourage people to recognize that you are, everyone's a dancer, everyone's an artist, everyone's a musician, that you can't run from that. It is is you. Everyone's
2: a creator.
0: Everyone is a creator. Everyone single one of us you know so i think it's reminding it's it's not about becoming something it's about remembering something mm-hmm. you don't have to become something you're not you just have to remember who you actually are you're an artist you're a dancer you're a singer you're a musician
2: Beautiful. you know
0: you're a creator you are a holy being or how you know we are all these things and i think that w- you you ask a little kid, you know, do you know how to dance? And not one little kid would not see themselves as this, you know. So mm-hmm. I think we are actually pulled out of seeing ourselves as creators and artists. And that to me is a bigger problem. And then you mentioned um, caring about what people think of you, you know. And again, the social convention of, you know, what would someone think if I were to behave in this way or move in this way or act in this way? And I, it's funny. I was um, contemplating the concept of jealousy recently. I was doing a workshop, and mm-hmm. I suddenly had this really specific memory of pretending I was dumber than I was when I was in high school because I didn't, I didn't want to like make people feel uncomfortable. Oh, so you didn't I want them would, to be jealous ah, of you. Yes, I would act in a certain way. I would act dumber than I was in Mm -hmm. order to create connection,
2: because I didn't want envy or jealousy. Like that was you made them where they were at, so there wouldn't be an emotional, um, emotional trigger or what have you. So yes, I wanted to
0: be liked more than I
2: wanted to be known. See, that's I, th- I think
1: beautiful. it's it's interesting. I think about a lot that in this culture that is so obsessed with individualism and the individual as this thing that, as we were talking about before we were rolling, you know, doesn't really exist. Like you don't exist as an individual. You don't exist mm-hmm. separate from the culture that came that produced you, from the environment that is you, from the people around you, from you know the spores and bugs and fungus and all of these things that we can't exist separately from. You know, <clears throat> we have this whole culture that's obsessed with the individual. Yet it produces this incredible conformity and this incredible yes. disregard for the validity and the needs of individuals, of all individuals, mm-hmm. because we're all swept under the rug, so that a few people ultimately can express themselves, you know, to the ends of the earth at the expense of the the vast majority of humanity. A little sidebar here, um, or tangent. It's all interconnected. There's no tangent. Uh, I read this paper the other day that someone posted about how people with autism. Um, have more active brains than than previously uh, believed. Not just more active than people thought people with autism had, you know, per- activity in their brains, but more active than most people, most people's brains. And so, this is a group of people. Just to pick one, you know, subset of humanity that hasn't been able to uh, express itself or be treated as equal, or be treated as like, you know, not only as equal, but like as a, as gifted as people, truly gifted yeah. people. That because they don't play this game, because they can't learn the business speak, and they can't bullshit people, and and self sabotage, and you know, uh, take an angle grinder to all their edges, so that they can fit into what culture's idea of an individual is. We're missing out on the most active minds in our whole society, and that's ultimately what we're doing across the board. We're destroying the individual by creating this culture that it's like, oh, I must. Um, hide my vulnerabilities and l- act like other people, act like the other individuals <laughs> so that they I will embrace me. Humans. And it's yeah. just such a contradiction. And that if we had a society that was based on treating everybody actually as an individual by, by respecting the collective, by uh, understanding that what's good for one person at the expense of the whole is not even good for that one person that if we change our parameters to see that what is good for all people in society is ultimately what's good for the, for the individual, we're going to have vibrant, you know, flourishing, beautiful, just creative individuals. Every aspect of our world is going to be covered with paint and music and dance. There's going to be no rote social routines. Everything is going to be creative and engaging and inviting if we focus on the needs of the collective, not just the the narrow, you know, false idea of what an individual is.
0: Yeah. And I, You know, going back to what I was saying is that where is the tangent on on me? Like where do I fit into this story of my programming and my conditioning? So as a high school student, I was more concerned with how I was perceived and to be liked than I was concerned about being – exploring my true potential. Right. And the onus is on me in the sense, not to say that I haven't been programmed and conditioned and put into a psychological state where that is a concern. That is, but it's on me to start unpacking and discovering oh, this tendency that I have or this way I am relating to people is coming from a deep, Fear of not being loved or not being worthy or not being accepted. And therefore, I am conforming myself into the origami expectations of how I believe another person wants me to behave. And so I had this fear. And what I, you know, decades later, I'm like, oh, right. People can receive you in one way or they can receive you in another way, and it's actually not my responsibility to anticipate how I'm going to be received. It's my responsibility to try to sit in my truth and to display my truth as much as possible, and how I am perceived is not really my business. And so people could perceive me in all sorts of ways. They could be inspired. They could be jealous. They could be irritated. They could not like. They could be angered. There's a full spectrum of how I could be reacted to. And the more I try to control other people's reaction to me, the more I'm imprisoning myself. And I think that is where we can really start paying attention to our own growth and our own Self-reflection is letting go of wanting to control how we are perceived, letting go of even thinking that's possible. And I think that is where we can start to uncover who it is that is underneath the convention or underneath the pressure
2: of being accepted. Wow. That is deep and so very true. Of course, what I hear you saying in all of that is basically we have to let go of how we're perceived because if we don't, we're basically allowing everyone and anyone we run into to define us for us. Like we just have to be who we are. Like you said, in your truth and whomever that truth connects with, well, as they would say, that's your people and anyone else, it's just not your business. It's not your problem. And
0: it's also, maybe it's a gift. You know, all these people that I make angry or they don't like or have a problem with me, like maybe that's also something that they have to uncover in their own spiritual journey. And who am I to deny them of being angry at me or not liking me? Excellent
2: point. You know, like that's me
0: trying to control someone else's experience of me rather than trusting that their experience of me, whether I perceive it as, quote, positive or negative, is actually irrelevant. I am trusting the divine wisdom that someone having a, you know, being completely turned off by me, well, what an important journey for them to go on. So I shouldn't deny them of that. Passive agitation. I think that's what we would call that.
2: Yeah, but but not derogatorily, you know. No, I'm not trying to poke a bear. (laughs) That's
1: that's funny. I used to be uh, um, kind of a drinker. Um, I used to drink a lot. It was a problem. Uh, (laughs) But I was in this really like stiff social circle of like would be artists who don't really make art. They just kind of posture themselves as if they do, and just young people like really just all of them were just terrified. To express themselves, to stand out, while you know, really ne- feeling like they need to stand out, so they form this kind of hipster culture of like really pr- like trying hard to be an individual and like wearing a very specific outfit so that people think that they're very individualistic. And then you just have this whole culture of everybody wearing very individualistic outfits, so they all kind of end up blending in. But I used to like really kind of get off on like just embarrassing people, you know, not like pulling their underwear over their head or anything, but just like by myself being like basically like really extra and vulgar and obnoxious and just calling attention to the elephants in the room, whatever they may be. Not and the gesture. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really understand it at the time. It really was a very unconscious behavior, but I really wanted to push people like that. I wanted them to think about themselves. I wanted them to see how silly they are by being silly myself. I think that's like a very primal role of like the clown and the comedian. We were talking about that um, when we first kind of connected on the phone about like, you know, the role of humor in challenging power and in, you know, um, as a revolutionary tool, you know, that it's interesting. We have this, you know, culture of comedy that is about often like punching down at people instead of like punching up at those in power, which is really the role of, of the jester, which is an ancient role. It's like dance is this ancient thing. That's always been with humanity. That role of like the shaman, the jester, the the Heyoka has always been there to like juggle opposites and, call attention to that which is normal.
0: Yeah, so I think in terms of comedy, what I find most interesting is that you as a comedian, or me as a comedian, I'll speak for myself, I am able to explore my own ignorance and explore my own inadequacy and explore my own insecurity and put that on display. And when you put your education on display, your self-education on display, then you're creating an environment of which people can begin to potentially model their own self-education. I think that where things can become problematic is if you have a didactic guru figure who's saying, I have something to teach you. You should learn from me. I have the answers. It's like, I don't think so. (laughs) I think we have the answers inside of us. Every single person has the answers. Every single person has the wisdom. Every single person is their best teacher. And we collaborate with each other and we coagulate and we experience life together. But looking for another person to be your ultimate guru slash teacher, I think sets people up for manipulation ultimately. And so for me as a comic, what I'm putting on display is like, hey, I am just a fool learning life, that's it, and I'm sharing what I'm learning and maybe my opinion will change in the next year or the next day or even throughout one video. Sometimes I'm talking and throughout the video I change my mind. And I don't necessarily think the conclusion is what's interesting. I think it's the process that's what's interesting. Mm. Teaching kids information is meaningless. Teaching kids how to learn is interesting. And that is, I think, where I would like to see more attention and interest is how do we learn how to learn? Because, you know, how many times have you experienced, quote unquote, learning something? Oh, Whatever, this is a planet. Now it's not a planet. Now it's a star system. We live in a universe. Now it's a multiverse. There's junk DNA. Oopsie doopsie. It's not junk after all. I mean, like this expectation that human knowledge is infallible is comedic to me. That's that's the comedy. If you want to talk about something hilarious, it's like knowledge is hilarious because it's always shifting and always changing, and we act as if it's. Stagnant in these universal truths that will never change, and that's just redonkulous for, in terms of my understanding of true knowledge versus wisdom. So, I guess my point is, is that the comic or me as a comic, I enjoy putting my own stupidity on display. And how ironic is that? Because remember I was going on and on about pretending I was stupid earlier. I mean, do you see the contradictions that we can Mm -hmm. just fold
2: ourselves into over and over again? And isn't that funny? We contradict our own abilities all the time. Oh, we're the most knowledgeable species on the planet. But we've chosen to stagnate ourselves and not push our limits and evolve and, and learn what we are truly capable of at the same time. You said um, we have to learn how to learn, and I think that's got to start with accepting the fact that we do not know it all. The only thing we can say we know for sure is that we don't know it all.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that uh, the, the comic has cast themselves as patient zero in the quest to cure the human condition. But yeah, I think what you're talking about, Tony, there is is emergence, you know, is the quality that to learn something new means to actually like take out behind the shed and kill the old thing that you thought was truth, you know, Mm -hmm. that it has to die for new things to emerge. And so this fear that we have of being perceived as stupid or as not knowing, that's what's keeping people from asking questions. It's really keeping people like people don't understand all the economic jargon and the businesses and the law code and the filibuster and all this horseshit that's spewing out of our TV that's really just designed to confuse us like the process is not that complicated it's just that to, to be, enter into that world people go to these elite schools so that they can learn the lingo they can they can learn this language so that they can you know mystify i mean in reality it's not that complicated and the thing that's keeping us the people from understanding it is a lot of the time feeling like you're, you're stupid for asking like hey actually i don't understand what money is Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the law? Where did it come from? Has that always existed? These kids, these kids, these childlike questions, you know, the questions that are beaten out of us in school, the questions that I was like neutralized with amphetamines for asking too many of. Like, hey, why do volcanoes do this? Hey, you, you know, why are the planets like this? Hey, what, what, you know, just asking why perpetually, which is a nuisance to a system that's just trying to squeeze people through the assembly line. Of school, of work, of all of these things, to you know, basically spit them out into that business world, hopefully, or into the world of unquestioning laborers, you know. Which all, none of this is emergent, none of this is intelligent. It's very silly, you know. It's it's the silliest people are the ones that take themselves extremely seriously.
0: Yeah, and why is a very profound question. It's very deep, and I think the thing that I really push against is this concept of, quote unquote, stupid people. I don't believe anyone is stupid. I think that there is a vast amount of intelligence in the human brain and that intelligence is actually so overwhelming and so expansive that it's terrifying. You know, if you if we were actually stupid, we would be much happier. We wouldn't be this True medicated story. population that's in a constant state of genuine existential dread, fear, and crisis. So, I think there is this this kind of like cultural Way where you know the intellectual elite or the liberal or whatever will be like, oh, those people are so stupid. You know they don't believe what I think. They're so stupid, and I think that that is doing a grave injustice to actually how complicated it is to be human and our intelligence and our and our questioning how to access our intelligence or to have our intelligence work for us rather than against us. I think that's what the real conflict of society is, is that we're not always clear to how to make our intelligence work for us. And so it's something that can be manipulated by A schooling system, by an economic system, by a religious system, a social system is always about manipulating our intelligence because it actually is so profound and important and threatening. And I think that what we need to be doing... (laughs) Is rather than calling each other stupid all the time, is building up the understanding of like, wow, we have this such deep, beautiful, intelligent potential that we should explore. And we have, and with that exploration comes a lot of emotional sadness, actually. And we need to have containers of how to help handle the emotional sadness that comes with the exploration of our vast intelligence because if we were just a species that was focusing purely on survival as we once were and we didn't have the comfort that we have now you know even even if you're living in a situation where you feel very economically oppressed which are you know millions and millions of people or have that stress of economics the overall technological comforts that we have in the sense that we're like not being pursued by animals in the same way has left all this mental space that we haven't, I don't, I don't think as a society truly understood how to fill. And I think that that's a spiritual crisis more than anything.
1: I just want to uh, challenge uh, one of those, there's an underlying kind of myth, I think, in what you're just saying that in the, in the deep past, we spent all of our time and energy on survival. And maybe we didn't, you're right. We read read books like, yeah, we read books like uh, the uh, original Affluent Society or David Graeber's beautiful book, um, The Dawn of Everything, that just describes all of these beautiful societies that they spent most of their time dancing, singing, telling stories, asking big questions. And they didn't
2: have seasonal affective disorder because they hibernated (laughs) when it was time. You know, they shut down, they were prepared beforehand. You know, I mean, ideally, I'm sure that they were, you know, they're a fair amount of struggles, but I just had to throw that in there from the beginning of the episode. I just wanted to comment on that. The fact that, or just, you know, like echo the fact that in, in today's system and uh, social order, you know, it's obviously unnatural and it just speaks to how many disorders we are, um, cultivating by insisting that we are these 24 seven productive beings. Like that's just not the way humans were designed to be. And I totally agree with you in terms of what could have
0: been happening in, you know, prehistory humanity, because I I don't know if you've seen Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix, but it's all about like, he just like asked the same question for seven episodes of like, I think things are older than we think they are. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, why the hell not, dude? And it it definitely (laughs) does remind me of like, oh, right. And what we think we even know about history is just purely true story it's just something that's written down by people who have an agenda of which I, you know, don't claim to fully know, but I can pontificate on and Mm -hmm. make some assumptions about what that agenda might be. So yeah, like who knows what life was like at that point. And I do think that comfort in a certain sense, it gives us the opportunity to create and comfort gives us the opportunity to be artistic. Mm -hmm. And then comfort gives us the opportunity to basically torture ourselves with our own minds. (laughs) Like it could go either way, depending on where you're at. This is a very true story.
1: To to sort of pick up on that idea there, um, I was going to say this a minute ago that like in keeping with the seasonal affective disorder thing, and I've been really feeling this a lot, is that like we quarantine sadness as a society and we have a very mortal and very puny grasp of good and bad and we accept certain emotions as good and positive and even people in like spiritual communities will be like oh that's high vibe or that's low vibe like oh no, you know don't don't talk about anything dark or depressing don't acknowledge negativity or you affirm Goodbye it or absolutely. you create it when it's like we're supposed to feel our feelings we don't we didn't we aren't moving through this world with a mind and a heart that produce sadness that feels sorrow great sorrow for no reason it's like pain Is a signal in the body. It's telling you something. You know, we feel pain when we touch fire because it's saying, "Don't do that." Adjust, make adjustments. We feel sadness and sorrow. We're supposed to feel it. I mean, I was writing a bunch of poetry and just really in a whole dig burrowing. You know, digging not in a dark way, not in a sad way, but in a joyous way, a way of of celebrating like all the times in my life that I was completely alone. Like being able to see the beauty in sorrow, and and that sorrow being a companion, and a an ability to recast things to say that th- there is beauty and tragedy in this you know in this situation that we're going through and there's there there is a necessity for winter you know in a biological necessity for everything to die off so that it can be reborn and if we don't feel sadness truly feel sadness and anger and hurt and all these things that we systematically repress which we have an extremely repressed society and that's why people are killing each other why so kids are going into schools and blowing up because they can't express themselves <laughs> because they don't have they, that. That has been taken from them or pushed deep inside of them, and they're all their outlets, their healthy ways of expressing themselves and connecting to nature and each other. You know, the school dance itself has become this, you know, <laughs> you know, demoralizing social, uh, you know, uh, game of like who can get a date, and those people who can't. It's like, ah, oh, you failed, you failed, fuck you, you're a fucking loser.
2: The school system is dehumanizing, and of itself, the way that it's designed, it's just meritocracy. Uh, if I pronounce that correctly, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more with what you're saying there. If just imagine if we could take that spell to rest and regenerate and recenter. Um, for those of us who live in, uh, you know, geographical locations where there there are all four seasons, what if we could do that? Would we? reemerge each spring a slightly more enlightened or involved or evolved you know obviously if we spend our time on those types of things it makes the mind wonder uh, because obviously we're sitting here um, speaking about these things unambiguously as if that is absolutely the way it is I have to catch myself and remind myself these are the things that I believe based on the data I've observed and the things I've read it could or could not be absolute truth But yeah, I just wonder if we could take that pause in the winter and not just be 24-7 productive robots. How much more productive could we be with ourselves and with our communities and in bringing humanity up from this lowly place that we have led ourselves?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think you're talking about the concept of rest, right? And how important rest is in order to, I mean, I guess what you're both talking about is duality and how there is a spectrum that exists. And when you have one extreme and you have another extreme, you can understand happiness through sadness, and you can understand sadness through happiness in a certain sense. And when we think about an inhale versus an exhale, right? These are You inhale and then you exhale. The moon, it grows. And then the second it gets full, it immediately starts contracting again. Or, you know, you start to not be able to see it. I mean, the moon doesn't actually change, but our perception of the moon is like an inhale and an exhale. You get to a certain point and then you come back in. So, obviously, I do believe you're correct in saying that the circadian rhythm of our existence, we have to sleep. Obviously, you know, there's all these indicators of how um, duality is a part of our existence. But I think it's that concept has been hijacked by like the Hegelian duality concept of like A then B and that's it rather than recognizing that the whole process of the inhale and the whole process of the exhale is the cosmic dance of the whole thing. And you know, going back to what you were saying about sadness, you know, so for me personally, I'm big into shadow shadow work and sadness. And I have not, you know, I don't have the expectation that those things are not going to be a part of my life because I learn from those moments. I am still learning from my sadness. There hasn't, I have not reached the point where I am not learning from my sadness as of. Currently, and therefore, my sadness recurs because, or my illnesses. I get ill, and then something will happen, and I will learn something from my illness, whether it's a heightened sense of empathy, or compassion, or desire to, you know, reinvigorate my schedule so it has more room for something else. Like, there's all these ways in which I'm still learning from suffering. And therefore, unconsciously, I must be inviting suffering into my ecosystem, because there is something I'm learning from it. But from a Buddhist perspective, I don't know how they would necessarily, you know, they, you know, the whole idea is that our suffering is self created. So I'm, I'm torn a little bit because I, on the one hand, keep learning from suffering, and on the other hand, I am agreeing that I am creating my own suffering in order to learn some lessons, and could I learn valuable lessons not through suffering? Probably, you know? But yet, am I evolved enough to do that? I'm not sure, I, obviously not, because I keep bringing the suffering back. Does that make sense?
1: Please stand by for technical difficulties. Our beloved Amanda's experiencing a catastrophic system failure of her equipment. Please take this as a reminder that all of this is a labor of love, at great personal expense and effort from all of us. Please subscribe to our channel, leave us a comment, and if you really love what we're doing, subscribe to our Patreon. And now, a word from our corporate sponsors, Vanguard and BlackRock.
0: Who do you think runs the world? Girls! No, not even close. Since the 1970s, two corporations have gobbled up most of the earth's companies, Vanguard and BlackRock. And you might be like, Tony, that's ridiculous. I go to stores all the time and I see competing brands everywhere. The market has genuine competition because I can buy this or that or this or that. But all publicly traded companies have boards where the largest shareholders make the decisions. So when we investigate who are the largest shareholders of all these companies, the same two companies keep coming up. Vanguard and BlackRock. These two mega corporations own all the smaller corporations, so we have a monopoly inside of a monopoly. Vanguard and BlackRock own Coke and they own Pepsi. They own Apple and they own Android, i.e. Microsoft. They own American Airlines, they own Delta. They own oil and they own solar. They own eBay and they own Amazon and they own the car companies and the pharmaceutical companies and the tobacco companies, the food companies, the clothing companies, the insurance companies, the banks, 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 the, banks, the, banks, the bank. No matter what industry, the top shareholders are the ones making the decisions. Call me a dingleberry, but if you own all the competing companies in the free, market then i don't think the market is um all that free but who are they the ceo and founder of blackrock is larry fink but then blackrock has a board the largest shareholder is vanguard and who's in vanguard you might wonder nobody knows yeah i guess it's just private information Probably the richest families on the planet, like the DuPonts, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Bushes, (laughs) Bush. And PS, if the division of companies is an illusion, then what does that say about the division of nations? Rich people don't need passports when they travel on their private jets. Borders are meaningless to the elite, except as a tool of nationalism to, against each other. And we all know corporate dollars go into politics. And if all those corporations are owned by the same people, that means both political parties are definitely owned by the um, the same people. So how do we stop it? Well, I actually have the answer. All we got to do is see,
1: I think that the question of suffering and, you know, do we exist just to suffer and learn lessons and is that the only way we learn? It seems like that sometimes, that addicts only find the light when they get to the very bottom, you know, and that's our cultural condition is one of addiction in so many ways. And, you know, humanity has repressed and neglected the suffering of others and the the pain that we're feeling every day in our bodies in our souls in the dehumanization and the exploitation that we're committing all around the world you know the the horrible ex- reality of slavery there's more slaves on the planet earth than ever before which is one of the largest carbon carbon emitters in the world is enslaved people destroying their own homes you know so that Americans can fucking eat popcorn shrimp 24/7 you know it's like it just makes no sense and i think that that's the without getting into the deep metaphysics of suffering and pain in the individual and the collective there is so much suffering that we can obviously prevent you know through the construction of better systems that the system that we exist in and you know you 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 do a really good job in your videos of entertaining and of of in and in introspecting and exploring the personal space and i love the sense of exploration that's always there in your videos that you are learning and changing and exploring and playing but yeah, I mean, you do get pretty pretty deeply into debt and you know banks and you know capitalism and anarchism and you know problem solutions in this political sort of dimension, and I think that that really is the 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 place where we we can channel a lot of that what will otherwise just be navel gazing, questioning is my suffering all I am or am I suffering? Am I learning? You know, it's like when we sort of externalize that in the same way that we kind of get out of our head into our body and get into other people and get into the the sort of sphere of the collective change of what we can do as a society. I mean, and that's what this program, this movement really is all about. It's about saying we can create better systems. We can transcend all of these, you know, externalized complexes of money and debt and capitalism and wage slavery. All of these things are byproducts of an old way of thinking of, a, of models of scarcity and inequality that just are not integral to humanity have not always existed and do not need to exist today that we have what it takes to stop that so uh, that's that's i would love to sort of shift gears into that sort of um more overtly political systemic territory because you're you're someone that always entertains and enlivens with your videos and because you're just going there and you're exploring ideas i, I, I just love the way you do it so
0: Yeah. And thank you also for like, like bringing me back to earth for a second, because I was like, "Ah." (laughs) but I, I appreciate, you know, what you're saying because it then reminds me of the inspiration, right? Like what is the inspiration? What is the impetus for me doing what I'm doing or you're doing what you're doing? My inspiration, what drives me is around healing that is what I'm interested in. And so for me, I believe the healing of the self has to happen in conjunction of the healing of society. And these things are together. I mean, a lot of people be like, well, you got to fill your own cup before you fill anyone else's cup. So just heal yourself. It's like, okay, well, that's like a 65 year journey. Okay. So like, I'll see you when I'm 80. Like, I think we have to kind of also recognize that the healing of the quote unquote self is a process that we will go through for a long time. I I don't think that you're just going to achieve it and you're done. And then you're like, now I have time and energy to heal the world. These things happen in tandem in conjunction with each other. This is the do-si-do that we must do. And sometimes you need more energy to work on yourself. And sometimes you have the energy to be an active member of society. And to be an active member of change and to be an active member of exploring solutions. And I think that's the thing that I'm most interested in is creating an environment of energy where people are connected to their bodies and they're connected to their spirits so they have the energy. They have the energy to go out into the world and to participate. And I think that's the thing that so much of society is trying to pull and extricate from us with obviously, as you know, the chemicals in your food, the chemicals in your products. These are things that are pulling away your chi. They're pulling away your energy. The media, scrolling, 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 that's taking your energy away from you. So there's there does seem to be a concerted effort of controlling your energy so you are exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted, you're physically exhausted, your eyes are tired. And when we move our bodies, when we have a practice of physical expression, we are energized and that's what's exciting to me. I mean, I have a lot I am a person with a lot of energy and when you have a lot of energy you can be frenetic and so i have to also learn how to be strategic with my energy but if you're lacking energy you might you know not feel like trying not feel like doing not feel like investigating you can be bogged down and so i think the thing that's really important when it comes to uh, revolutionary change if however you want to see that or you know systemic change or let's call it actually imagination i don't even want to say the word change like the imagination of a society that is sparking joy yeah <laughs> like that's going to take our collective energy, and we have to be sharing in that space and that vibration of output, output, output. And then sometimes people will be like, "Okay, I need to input, input, input." But if we, have, as a society, are doing that kind of like um, choreography of output and input, not everybody has to be inputting at the same time. Not everybody has to be outputting at the same time. We weave together like the DNA and so everyone has a chance to inhale and everyone has a chance to exhale but we all need to be doing both i think that's what's really important is to participate in both you can't just be an exhaler and you can't just be an inhaler
1: that was a beautiful tangent um a spiral mm-hmm. a flow um that's 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 why we pay you the big bucks tony that's why we slipped you that uh <laughs> That fat Venmo to come on our show. I'm just kidding. We don't pay anybody to do this. We don't even get paid to do this. Hey, subscribe to our Patreon. Blah blah blah. I'll do all this stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm thinking about a, a Buckminster Fuller a quote or passage or just a, an ethic that runs through his work. That like one person can make the difference. One person can have an idea, and I think often ideas come out of periods of deep reflection. To have people on that fucking grind all the time, especially when we have. You know, the potential to eliminate many of the jobs in the world today. We have the abundance to provide for all people without making them submit themselves to wage labor. We can automate damn near any job that there is out there in the world today with less resource use, you know, with less energy use, and allow people, you know, the ability to live and be and spend time in that imaginative, playful space, coming up with ideas. Because one idea can change. The fucking world, you know, one invention can save millions of people's lives. Billions, you know, over time as this progressive process of, of ideas stacked on ideas. And yet we have people who are, are you know, potential is sapped and controlled and distorted. And we are kept from being too lively, too, you know, emotionally aware, too, you know, expressive, too creative, too imaginative. Because we're not going to be good workers if we do that, if we're in that space all the time, if we're always, you know, like Tony is or, or, or like I am sometimes, you know, energetic, flowing, you know, free flowing, free associative, you know, sometimes I mean, I will get hit with these waves of, of sadness and depression that I don't think of as just a sickness, you know, it, it's something I have to work through. And I always have this cycle, the inhale and the exhale of inhaling for a long time sometimes. And it disturbs people. It's hard to be around. It's hard for me to have relationships. You know, doctors have said it's a a bipolar disorder, you know. But for me, it's like I have to feel these things because they're the source of the insights and the inspiration and the exuberance, the energy, the, the, the fucking dynamism to do something about it and to be explosively creative because I sat with these ideas and these feelings for so long that when it was finally time for the fucking toast to come out of the toaster, you know, it was done and it was it was this this these ideas were fully formed. And I just think that I want more people to experience deep profound rest. And I want more people to be able to experience that activity, you know, the real activity, not pointless rote me- mechanical, you know, pumping a pumping one bicep, real fluidity and just getting lost in yourself, getting lost on a tangent, not afraid to be you know, seen as stupid, not afraid of of somebody to think, oh, you're talking too much or you're being extra. Fuck that. Be extra. Be too much. Most people are not too much enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think the thing that's interesting, you know, from a capitalist perspective, when we look at the automation is that, and this is kind of what Amanda was saying at the beginning is that she, and she's not alone, present company included, we equate meaning with work right? And so the meaning of my life becomes my work. And even if my work is creative, even if my work is artistic, it's still a meaning in my life. Even if my work is around healing or giving to others, it's still providing a meaning in my life, right? And I think oftentimes I'm a, I'm a parent, right? So you have a child and that child, the It's like it's almost like it's it's a hijacking of meaning. You're like, oh, I don't even have to work for meaning anymore. I'm my kid. I have inherent meaning of my life. You know, like I did it. My life has meaning because I have this kid. (laughs) And I think that the spiritual complexity is that when we attribute meaning to our life through work, through helping, through healing, through anything, we're putting it in a prison. We're entrapping it. And it's not. It's a, it'll fall apart because we have an expectation and we're attaching something to it. And so I think the thing that we have to discover as a society is that the meaning of life is life. We're living it, we're already there. We don't need to seek meaning at all. It's absolutely we have it. And so I think that that if we could really feel, oh, My life has meaning because I'm here. If all the randomness of my dad's sperm and however many of my great-great-grandparents had to come together and fuck in a field for me to be here, that (laughs) complete chaos brought me here. My life has meaning. I don't have to prove it to myself or to you or to anyone or society or capitalist culture. And I think when we can really sit and feel the meaning of our own lives and everything else is just... It's just what we're doing. It's just what we're doing. It's not who we are. We already are whole and perfect and beautiful and full of light. (laughs) There's nothing we need to achieve. And if we choose to achieve things while we're living, it's just for shits and giggles purely. So Amanda, every time you tell yourself to work and this is your identity, no, it ain't. It's just shits and giggles. And you know what? (laughs) I'm going to tell myself this because I
2: struggle with that as well. Well, thank you for being uh, candid for, about for the record there if anybody doesn't
1: it. know by now amanda's camera is dead um we don't know what happened to her um and since many of you will be I'm listening on audio um amanda has passed on and she is now one of the ancestors and she comes to us or she's been killed by the cia that's usually my excuse when the gang isn't here um but yeah you're still in the conversation man i just want to say quickly that uh you know money kills meaning When you do something for money, you can't develop and discover the real reason that you're doing it or do something for no reason. You're doing it for money so that you can feed your thing, so you can do this. And so many studies on the effect of rewarding people for tasks shows that it obliterates your motivation and your inherent drive to do it. Like I love, you know, making videos and films and using a camera and you know, when I've and gotten well you're talking about business culture earlier i was thinking about the 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 this hive of marketers that i was in for the one of the worst weeks of my life was i was getting paid a lot of money more than i've ever gotten paid for anything to make these videos for these fucking marketers and they were just soulless fucking people that just felt so smug and superior about themselves because they knew the marketing ease even though they weren't really doing very much and then they were ultimately just trying to get people to buy more shit than they need ultimately an extremely parasitic unnecessary act you know, for all its creative flourishes, all these creative minds that could have been put towards, you know, education and creating and art and all, whatever. But yeah, I just, it it was such a, a, it irrigated my meaning and my, my love of even the things that I love to do to be doing something for money where you stop doing it because you have an excess of expression or you want to explore, you want to take yourselves out of the active thinking mind and explore the unconscious process of art and which is, you know, creating meaning. Like how many artists actually like have an idea of what they're making as they're making it. I think some of the greatest works of art are an exploration where you dissolve yourself into that flow where meaning comes through you. It's not like you're imposing that meaning onto the world. That was multiple tangents uh, packed together. I don't know where it's gonna go with that.
2: Needed to be said though. You said in the beginning you didn't uh, want to make anyone jealous in high school with your level of intelligence. Well, I hate to burst your rubble, but you've made me jealous, <laughs> Tony, with your robust um, throat chakra. Like you are the only one so far, I think I've ran into that can articulate what's going on with our body and in this world as well as I feel Marlo can. This has been such a pleasure. I am truly honored to have been able to take part in this despite all the technical issues. Well, I really appreciate that. I love being here.
0: It was such an honor. I had so much fun talking to y'all, and I'm deeply
2: grateful. Well, please know I'm taking your advice to heart and practicing it. As I hope everyone who's been listening does just that.
1: Tony, would you like to uh, send us out here with a little spontaneous uh, somatic improvisation of your own?
2: Please do. Mirror us. Mirror us, the fools who are just learning how okay, to Okay, so yeah, show,
0: let's show it, it, we'll, we'll do it. a little exercise together. Okay, you're going to take your shoulders and we're going to move it. our shoulders back and forth, <laughs> and you're just going to shimmy. You're just going to shimmy your heart. <laughs> You're just going to shimmy and you're just going to give your heart that little massage and you're going to dance your heart inside your body and you're just going to feel that your dancing heart is completely full and that all the love you have to give is a renewable resource and you can just keep giving that love away back to yourself and back to society and back to the community. Woo! Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Impeccable. Yay
1: the somatic movement work that I'd like all of you to do, to get up out of your chair and roll your shoulders around, and form an intersectional movement to bring together all of our issues with this fucking system so that we can create our own movements, build our own change, and design our way out of this horrible mess so that we can create the society we want to create. Of course, to do that is going to require a hell of a lot of work, time, effort, organization, and, unfortunately, resources, so moneyless society is a labor of love please support us on patreon help support us it's it really has been a difficult winter and we're piecing ourselves back together we'll be doing shows again on our regularly scheduled schedule saturdays and i'll try to get back to doing lives frequently as well uh, i love doing that that's a lot of fun follow tony on tiktok come on follow our tiktok while you're at